Welcome to the podcast series about our textbook, Indigenous Education in Australia, Learning and Teaching for Deadly Futures, published by Routledge. This podcast series is hosted by Marnie Shea and Rhonda Oliver. We are the editors of this book, which is a collection of chapters authored by Indigenous and non-Indigenous educators and researchers on a variety of topics on Indigenous education. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast is recorded on and the lands of the peoples where listeners are tuning in from today. In this podcast series, we explore the chapters with authors, providing listeners and readers of the text the opportunity to hear authors yarn about their chapters and provide further insights about some of the suggested practice implications on their topics. Hi, it's Marnie here, and today I'm yarning with Associate Professor Jay Phillips, who authored the chapter Foundations of Teacher Knowledge and Classroom Practice in Indigenous Education. Welcome and thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us today for this podcast series, Jay. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, who's your mob, and where you're from? Thanks, Marnie. Great to be here. I'm a Waka Waka woman from South Queensland. And I'm currently working as an academic and head of school in a university that sits on the Wiradjuri country in New South Wales. I was born and raised along with my three sisters by my mother on country. We were very privileged to learn how important it was to be strong in culture and how to do that from my mum to my extended mob. And also understand the way in which dominating systems often work to neutralise that strength. The cultural and knowledge principles I inherited continue to guide me in my work as an educator and have done since I started on this career path. Deadly. Thanks, Jay. Can you please share with us your background in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education? I feel like, well, it's actually been more of my life than than not. So I've taught at all levels of the Western education system uh, from early childhood to university with the exception of secondary schooling. Through, throughout that time, as I'd mentioned before, you know, the way in which I've learned about not just my culture, the principles of it. And I want to make sure to stress that I see culture as not just about what we do. It's about how we think, how we be in the world, and the reasons why we make particular choices that we do, and also how we act when choices are made for us. So when I say I'm strong in culture, it is about those principles that cultivate new ways of operating when the environment changes. So that learning I've applied across my teaching in uh, post-compulsory schooling as well as, well, I wasn't a primary teacher for that long, actually. I went straight into TAFE after that, TAFE teaching. But I apply those principles because I think it's a really important part of understanding what kind of actions or approaches we need to take, the strategies we develop as Aboriginal educators to actually create a space in those systems. Often the assumption is that there's already a space developed for participation by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in education, but that space is framed by historical discourses that are not only limited, but they're limiting. We talk a lot these days, and Aboriginal people have done always, about deficit discourses. So there's a, almost like um, a, a framework that anticipates the achievements of Aboriginal people um, and in education, people without an understanding, educators without an understanding of how Australian history and those discourses impact on their actions tend to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it's not self-fulfilling from an Aboriginal child's perspective. It's self-fulfilling in that the 
colonial mindset continues to reproduce itself because it's so empowered, you know, for us as um, Indigenous educators and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in that education system, whether whether it be compulsory or post-compulsory schooling. And in your chapter, you you had some great insights and, and unpacked that for the readers. And in particular, you shared a pedagogical approach that you developed through your scholarship. What are the, some of the main messages that you wanted readers to take from the chapter? And foremost, that pedagogical framework is based on the cultural and knowledge principles that I continue to adhere to that I've learned from my mum and my extended mom. Um, we're all familiar as Aboriginal people when you first meet someone that one of the first questions are, who's your mob? And that question is to understand the connection that may exist between people, places and things. Fundamental to Indigenous standpoint pedagogy is asking that question of all students in a classroom learning Australian history, um, Indigenous studies or any of the other disciplinary contexts, that question, who are you, where does your knowledge come from, where are the gaps in your knowledge, is a really important step to the unlearning that needs to take place before any new knowledge can be produced or shared in a classroom or even in a social setting. That's the fundamental principle that understanding where you're from and for non-Aboriginal people and some Aboriginal people who unfortunately have been impacted severely by colonisation through the many policies that were designed to disappear us mm. um, have also not have, had access to um, the knowledge they need to understand what they can do to mitigate the impact of colonising discourses. Up, It frees up a space, um, especially learning about or understanding and self-reflecting on the gaps in your knowledge and why those gaps might exist. For example, you know, we only get taught a certain kind of uh, knowledge about Aboriginal people and one that's palatable and aligns with, you know, the historical need to ensure Aboriginal people um, are assimilated and die out. So that's central to Indigenous standpoint pedagogy. Now, Indigenous um, theory um, and methodology uh, was developed by Lester Rigney, who, you know, positioned Indigenous research as something for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander researchers to do and all research that is with our mob, essentially. Mm. So for me, though, um, in, in the Indigenous standpoint pedagogical framework, the idea of standpoint actually frames positioning of Indigenous so that it becomes an ideological, conceptual, um, methodol- methodological framework that says that we all should learn in um, Indigenous students in any curriculum area um, and in Indigenous studies that we all need to prioritise Aboriginal worldviews when we're learning about matters that affect um, us um, as Aboriginal people and um, all people in relation to Australian culture, history and society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so standpoint, you know, that emerged from feminist standpoint theory and at its core says that if you're part of a minority or part of a, a disenfranchised group, that you have access to um, understand more than someone who is privileged by it. When Indigenous and Standpoint are put together, essentially it is about everyone understanding the impact of the history 
employees, the institutions, um, cultures and societies are reinforcing particular knowledges, not just about Aboriginal people, um, but more importantly about um, Australian culture and society, which is why I always say I never uh, refer to it as Aboriginal history because there's a disconnect there. Um, it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's experiences of Australian history. And that creates an investment also when the curriculum is fully developed. It creates an investment because often people come to Indigenous studies with uh, a kind of tourist view and the expectation is they're going to learn about what commonly touted to be Aboriginal culture, which really isn't, you know. It, it may be the thing we do or, for some of us, things that were done in our mob, but underpinning it is where the real uh, richness of, of culture exists. Mm. Um, so, you know, and they're often invisible. Indigenous standpoint pedagogy is quite complex, but it allows people to understand not just where they're positioned, but where they're positioned in relation to a whole host of factors and circumstances that uh, continue to act on them to either reinforce uh, limited understandings about themselves and ourselves as Australians and which will contaminate any any kind of learning that you want to facilitate uh, around um, Aboriginal people's cultures and knowledges because those deficit discourses will always, um, they're very strong, they will always reframe and reposition um, Aboriginal people's complex cultures into the little block that's been reinforced over time by Australian culture and history and, and in school particularly. Um, so it's as important for students to do the unlearning um, as it is for teachers um, because teachers, all of us as teachers, are products of an education system that um, continue to reproduce the inaccurate um, understandings, leave out knowledge about Australian history. So that unlearning is really important and self-reflection to teachers is extremely important to do before even coming to, to consider what contributions they might be able to make to changing uh, the systems that already and I know as, a, as an educator, a teacher, your pedagogical framework and approach has uh, really influenced my, my approaches to teaching and I've seen the power of um, what it can do when you do centre the voices of, um, of our people, of Indigenous Australians in the, um, the centre of, of whatever content you're trying to teach. Um, are there any additional practices that you would recommend in addressing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education? Additional practices, let me name them. <laughs> I probably won't be able to go through, and I think, you know, the book, um, this text will provide a lot of those practices. I see there's a real, a really good integration between all elements of, you know, what a teacher might need to do and undo if they're committed to ensuring change and being an agent of change that benefits Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. But the first really isn't. Well, it is a practice, I guess, but it's also um, a disposition. Mm. Um, so teachers who come to this work with an idea or understanding that their knowledge is limited will make different choices than, say, a teacher who does not understand that, a teacher that accepts that what they were taught is the 
Australian history. So a teacher with that kind of disposition actually just continues to reinforce and reproduce, you know, what already exists. Mm. Uh, a, a teacher, an educator with um, a reflective ability and also an, a, an ability and willingness to be challenged about what they might believe they know mm. is really important. Um, and those kinds of challenges can come from um, a whole lot of places. So it can come from the community around the school, it can come from, you know, Aboriginal people who um, you're co-teaching with. It can come from the students in your classroom. But a teacher who understands their limited knowledge will be able to respond to that much more professionally and usefully than one who sets up these dichotomies in a classroom where there's truth on one side and um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students or teachers or education support workers um, are on the other with little to offer. You know, it's important to remember that there's a responsibility for non-Indigenous teachers too. I think we're moving beyond this idea that to get an Aboriginal voice into the classroom that we need to rely on the community or, you know, to come in and do a one-off or tell their story when really we have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educators, theorists, uh, researchers who are producing and reproducing Aboriginal voices in the academy. Um, so, you know, the, the books that you use in the classroom um, should reflect the fullness of who we are as Australians and particularly re-represent Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as empowered people and who are committed to resolving the issues in our, our community caused by colonisation. Thanks, Jay. The final topic is is very future orientated so in reimagining a better future for indigenous education what is your vision for excellence in indigenous education given the power of the system i think the first thing is to actually redefine or develop a better understanding of what excellence means for aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples secondly is the ability to be able, having the ability to be able to set up a classroom or a schooling system or a university setting where the goals of Aboriginal people are supported towards achieving that excellence mm-hmm. instead of them put on the, you know, the conveyor belt of, you know, go through school, be successful in terms of how institutions define, currently define it and then, you know, go out. A lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people want to go back to their uh, communities to work after achieving excellence in education, not just Indigenous education, but education uh, full stop. Um, so those pathways need to be provided in schools, and that's what I believe will be the framework or the foundation for achieving that excellence, which is underpinned by the freedom of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to make choice that benefit themselves and their communities in whatever way they uh, Jay, it's been a really rich yarn today and I'd like to thank you for your time, knowledge and wisdom. No worries, great talking to you too, Marnie.